helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today's show is titled, Jesus, the Greatest Psychotherapist. And yes, this show today is about Jesus, his ministry, and the therapeutic benefits and methods that he used in his ministry. There are many of us who have turned to Eastern religion, and we looked at the meditations of Buddhism, and uh, many uh, in pop culture sees the Buddhist religion as being very therapeutic because of its use of mindfulness and meditation. And many have moved away from Christianity to seek therapeutic value in to seek the therapeutic value of these Eastern religions. But today I'm going to turn things around and I'm going to be talking about Jesus as a psychotherapist. We'll be looking at some of the methods, some of the stories in the gospel that shows that Jesus, in the way he practiced his ministry, that he was the greatest psychotherapist ever. And I'll be looking at five points in particular that shows why I see Jesus as being the greatest psychotherapist. There was a time when there was this divide between psychotherapy and psychology. But psychotherapy and psychology is becoming more multidisciplinary and less reductionistic. And as a result, they are now recognizing the benefits that are in spirituality. And they're seeing that there are values in many, I should say, psychological values in many of the principles of Christianity. And this show today is going to be zeroing in on those benefits. Five five points in particular. Let me say right off the bat that this show is not a mental exercise or just a source of giving information, but I will be giving practical insights to church leaders as to how they should counsel and also equip congregants and others to know what to look for in their professional counselor or their lay counselors within the church. I think there's a lot of harm that has been done by people practicing counseling and giving advice in a way that is not very biblical and in a way that is not therapeutic. So this show today is going to be be highlighting uh, some of the practices of Jesus, their, their, their therapeutic benefits, and hopefully these practices can be applied by those of us who try to help others and can be a warning to others who are seeking help what to look for in a counselor. So here we go. The first point as to why I consider Jesus the greatest psychotherapist ever, is that Jesus practiced unconditional positive regard. The famed American psychologist Carl Rogers said this was a crucial principle that every psychotherapist should 
follow. And let me explain what I mean by unconditional positive regard. This means that when someone comes to you for help, it doesn't matter what kind of sins they have committed or what kind of a crimes they have perpetrated against society, you have to treat this person with a positive attitude that makes them feel accepted and loved. And I see so many people who come to me that say, I have been hurt by others in my church circles because I opened up to them with some deep, dark secrets that I had. And as a result of opening up, they have now started treating me with a cold shoulder or they have been avoiding me. And so when we talk about unconditional positive regard, let me point to specific examples of this in Scripture. So the first point that I would like to hold up as Exhibit A is how Jesus dealt with Zacchaeus, the tax collectors. When we say a tax collector in today's day, we probably think of someone that, you know, work at, at you know, Canada Revenue Agency, and we see this person in a very positive light. They're outstanding citizens of society who is doing their government job, and, you know, they have some certain level of prestige. But when it comes to tax collector in Jesus' day, these people were looked at as being thieves. They were hated by the Jews because they worked for the Roman government. They were considered thieves because they would overcharge people on their taxes and they would give a portion to the Roman government, but they would keep a portion for themselves. And many of these tax collectors became very wealthy as a result of their dishonesty. And so when Zacchaeus uh, came to Jesus, he was despised by others to the point where we are told that he wasn't even he didn't even see himself worthy of being part of the crowd. He was in a tree looking at the proceedings as Jesus walked by and the crowd of people was following Jesus. And Jesus did something that is very, very uh, very, very involving of Zacchaeus. He looked at, up and he saw Zacchaeus in this tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I am going to your house. I'm going to, I'm going to visit with you at your house. And I'm not quoting, I'm just paraphrasing here. And so that's very, very inclusive. Jesus did not make Zacchaeus feel excluded, didn't make him feel that he wasn't good enough. He fellowshiped with him. And so, and so I see today behaviors by people within church, church circles that they only socialize with people who are like themselves, Bible-believing people, people who are honest, people who are upright. But this is not true spirituality or true Christianity because the example of Jesus was that he socialized with people who were considered sinners and, and he accepted them with 
positive regard. I am not saying that he accepted their their bad behaviors or their sinful actions, but he accepted them as persons and he made them feel loved and accepted. And I see so many people who have come to me for counseling from churches where they have been hurt because people despise them for not being as religious as they think they they should be or look down on them because of some past sin that they have committed. So Zacchaeus is exhibit A. Exhibit B is the woman of Samaria. This woman came from a, 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 a people who on a whole was despised by the Jew. And we are told in the scriptures that the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritan. But in the story of, of the goods of the woman of Samaria by the well, we are told that Jesus conversed with her. He had a conversation with her. He was not condemning of her, but he spoke to her with such love and compassion that she went, she ran into Samaria acknowledging Jesus that he was some great prophet and she became the first missionary that spread the word of Jesus in a foreign country. Why? Because he showed unconditional positive regard towards her. And the third exhibit, the third point, exhibit three, or the the third example under the first point is the woman caught in the act of adultery. This woman was brought to Jesus as someone who should be stoned to death. And they were using her to make a religious point to see whether or not Jesus would go along with the Mosaic law or if he would get himself in trouble by not condemning her. But Jesus uh, placed this woman in a position where she was no longer the outcast, where she was no longer the person to be despised. When he made the powerful statement, let he who is without sin cast the first stone and what jesus was saying is that look here guys this this woman is not more sinful than any of us we all carry baggage we all have sin and so if you want to stone her go ahead but make sure that you have no sin in your life And we are told that as a result of this challenge, the men who wanted her stone to death started walking away one by one until there was no one left than Jesus and the woman. And the Bible tells us, gives us this beautiful picture that Jesus and the woman alone was left. And it said when Jesus saw her standing there, he said to her, where is your accusers. And when she saw that everyone was gone and she it was Jesus, then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. When she said to Jesus, they're gone, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So that, let's notice here that Jesus was not condoning the sin of adultery, but he made this woman feel accepted. He, he made the statement in a very powerful way that she was no worse than any of the religious self-righteous men who were standing in his presence. So it is that when people come to us for help, if 
you're a lay person in the church and people open up to you for help, you have to make sure that you treat this, this, these people who are opening up to you with such love and acceptance that they feel that they feel it and that they, they, they're open to come back to you again and again and to share their story and find healing. If there is anything in your attitude that acts surprised or shocked because of something they have told you, rest assured that they will feel it and they will not be coming back to you for help. So that's the first point. Jesus is the greatest psychotherapist because he practiced unconditional positive regard. The second point is that Jesus stressed the danger of unforgiveness and bitterness. Psychotherapists are becoming more and more aware of the dangers of carrying bitterness in your heart. Several studies have been done, as I have talked about in other shows, on forgiveness. If you have missed those shows on forgiveness, you can go to our YouTube channel and just type in forgiveness and those shows will come up. We point to research in those shows that, that, that points to the fact that Forgiveness is good for your mental and physical health. And when it comes to physical health, the studies show that if you carry unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, that you have higher blood pressure, higher levels of cholesterol, you're more likely to suffer a heart attack, and the list of ailments go on and on. So Jesus, back in his days back in the first century, was already preaching the benefits of letting go of past hurt. And that's what we do as psychotherapists. We help people to let go of their past pain. Many of the parables that he told was about forgiveness and and letting go of past hurt. And so it is that it's important for us as we help others that one good strategy to imply is to ask them to come up with a list of people that they have not forgiven and to work on that list to bring about forgiveness. And let me say, when we're talking about forgiveness here, I am not talking about a process that has to be quick or or magical where you say, just say this prayer, repeat after me, I forgive. I think that's very superficial because you can say a prayer of forgiving someone, but it doesn't mean that you're healed from the the bitterness that you're carrying. I'm talking about a level of forgiveness that that takes action, that goes to the root of the problem. And we see Jesus displaying that quality in Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24. And let me just read this so we can be very clear what I am speaking about here. So Matthew 23 and 24 reads as follows. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there and and there you remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift so in other words jesus is saying if you are at the altar the altar is this 
place or this meeting place with God, this place where spiritual duties are performed. And Jesus is saying that if you're already at the altar and it comes in your mind that you remember that there is a rift in your relationship with your brother, go and make it right with your brother. Bring about reconciliation and forgiveness. Leave your gift there and go and deal with that brother because that's more urgent than offering your gift to God. This is revolutionary thinking back then in the first century. Because the rabbis would say that our first and greatest obligation is our religious duties to God. That is why they chastised Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. But Jesus knew that a spirituality devoid of healthy human connection was not pleasing to God. The Pharisees would argue otherwise. This is why they were able to believe that their murderous intentions towards Jesus was part of God's plan. But Jesus saw it differently. And I thank God that he did. Jesus knew that if your heart is not right towards your brother, it cannot be right with God. Because the bitterness and unforgiveness that you're having in your heart is blocking that connection that you're trying to have with God. And that is why in Jesus' prayer, the only prayer where he teaches us to pray, he says, when you pray, say this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So in other words, Jesus is saying that to the same proportion that we forgive others, our Heavenly Father will forgive us. And when I first read this, I thought it was a bit unfair because I'm saying, what, what is God telling us? Is, is God saying that we, we, there, that God, is Jesus saying that God is up there, you know, keeping score and saying, Michael, if you don't forgive John, I'm just using John as an example. I have nothing against any friend I have by the name of John. Let me just clarify that. Okay. So John is not you. So Jesus is, is saying, was Jesus saying, Unless you forgive John, I'm not going to forgive you. No, I, th- I think it's deeper than that. I think what he's saying is that if my heart is not right towards John, then I cannot access my spirituality in a deep way. It's going to be superficial because you can't really pray to God and and be opened up to God in a, in a deep way if you are bitter towards another person and you are carrying grudge and resentment. So this is why Jesus is saying, before you attempt your spiritual disciplines, make it right with your brother and b- before offering that gift. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic, Jesus, the Greatest Psychotherapist. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Back to Michael. And the third point that, that, that shows that Jesus is the greatest psychotherapist ever is that Jesus encouraged dialogue versus versus avoidance. So 
in this is found in Matthew 18 where we read if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you if they listen to you you have won them over but if they will not listen take one or two others along so that Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So let me break this down. So Jesus is saying, if you have a a conflict with a brother and our brother or a sister. And he is talking here of close relationships in the church setting. And he's saying if there is this rift, the first step that you need to take is to go and talk to the person individually. In other words, don't preach it from the pulpit. You get an opportunity to preach and you know that that brother and you have some something that is not settled. Don't use the pulpit to talk about it. Or don't talk about it in your small group study with six other people. The first step is to go to the person and speak face to face. And then Jesus said, if they refuse to listen, take one or two others so that every matter may be established. And what he means by that is take two witnesses and let these witnesses hear both sides of the conflict to see what is fair in the situation. And then Jesus goes on to say, if they refuse, take it to tell it to the church. In those days, the church was the governing body, like an arbitrator who who is who was there to decide in cases where people cannot come to an, an agreement. And so we have this example of Jesus say, try every method possible of reconciling with this person. Then he says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So I talked earlier about Zacchaeus and how as a tax collector, people would have nothing to do with him. Jesus is saying that in certain situations where reconciling is not possible after you have tried your best, it is okay not to associate with the person under certain circumstances. As a matter of fact, in some situations, it is downright dangerous for you physically. And in other situations, it is detrimental to your mental health. And so Jesus here in this passage is talking about a dialogue, a dialogue that has many different level as an attempt at reconciliation. So the reason people avoid this dialogue is because they have fears or they have insecurities. So I can't talk to that person because I'm afraid of what they might say or what they might do. Or I am insecure. If I talk to that person, maybe they won't want to be my friend anymore. I am hurting. I have this bitterness in my heart. And this conflict is, I I can't sleep at night because of this conflict that we have between us. But I can't go to them. Jesus is saying, don't avoid. Have a dialogue. But what I find in many of 
our churches is that we practice and and we have systems in place that make dialogue impossible. We don't give people a forum to talk about what they don't like. So the 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 bad side of that is that as a result of that there's a lot of gossip, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness and sabotage and it creates a very unhealthy situation. So Jesus the greatest therapist, psychotherapist that ever lived, stressed the importance of dialogue. The fourth point is that Jesus recognized the power of personal beliefs. Jesus repeatedly asked people if they believed he could heal them before performing the the healing on them. In in some cases we are told that he he used cultural practices to bring about healing. An example of that would be the blind man where we are told that Jesus spat on the ground, made clay in the mud and then put it on the blind the blind man's eyes and then the blind man was healed. Now why did Jesus use his spit to make mud? and put on this blind man's eyes. If we look at that in today's culture, we will find that very disgusting, and we might even find it offensive. So if you're listening to me today, don't have any bright ideas about trying this in your church, right? It's not the same kind of culture. What we need to understand is that in in at that time, and especially with the influence of the Greeks in the time of Jesus, there was a strong belief that the the spittle of of rabbis had certain miraculous powers or the spittle of important persons could bring about healing. So Jesus is tapping into this man's spiritual, this man's cultural belief, and he's using it to heal him. In other words, he's using it to increase the man's faith. If you are going to a psychotherapist and this person is not tapping into your belief, I would like to say that you are not getting the best help that you could get. Great psychotherapists use the belief systems of the people that you're ministering to heal. And the fifth and final point is that Jesus used effective questioning to lead to greater meaning. In the woman caught in the act of adultery, he asked, where are your accusers? And when she said they were all, all gone, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When they brought this issue of paying taxes to Caesar and they asked Jesus whether or not they should pay tax, he says, whose, picture, whose image do you see on the coin? And when they say Caesar's, then, then he led them to understand that they should give to Caesar what Caesar deserves. So he asked a question, whose image is on the coin? In, in, in teaching the disciples about himself, as the Messiah, he didn't get a clipboard and a PowerPoint projector and say, come on guys, let me tell you who I am. No, he asks question, who do men say that I am in Matthew 16 13? And then he led them to the truth where Peter proclaimed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So asking questions to lead to deeper meaning. I think sometimes we are too quick to give advice to people when we're counseling them and we're too quick to tell them what to do but the use of questioning is a very effective uh, tool 
in counseling. And that's why I said Jesus is the greatest psychotherapist. He had profound questions. So some of the questions you can ask today is, what would it mean to you if you never got your dad's approval? Or when did you feel, when did you first feel you were inadequate? Another good question, instead of telling people what to do, is to ask, what would you say to a friend who is faced with the situation that you're going through right now? So there you have it, the five points that make Jesus the greatest psychotherapist ever. If you are getting help from someone, it's very important that they are practicing these five tips that we have given out here today. Or if you're helping someone in the church, it's good for you to emulate the example of Jesus. We want to remind you that Elam is a not-for-profit organization that depends on your donation to stay on the air. You can donate through our website, elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry. We also want to remind you that we have over 300 podcasts on our YouTube channel, which you can access through the website. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services. And I'm praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.